right, all right, all right. Welcome into another podcast from Hockey Royalty, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. Today, we'll talk about the, all the aftermath of the trade deadline, the games that followed, the in and outs of all the moves that the Kings made. So like and subscribe to this podcast. Let's go. boys what's going on guys i know you guys had a little three hour outing without me i tried to come in on my lunch break didn't really work out uh was stuck in the bad wi-fi zone but looks like you guys had fun man it seemed like a like a hoot and a holler on uh on the trade deadline day how you guys doing yeah it was good i mean we didn't we didn't really have i guess the fireworks we were hoping for but i mean trade trade deadline day is always one of the more fun days of the year um if you don't get excited for all the movement that goes on um, throughout the, the entire league, I mean, it's just it's just so interesting. And unfortunately, everything that seemed to gone on the weeks leading up to it. So we only got to hear the names like Brendan Lemieux and Austin Wagner. So it wasn't too much, too exciting, but we still had a good time. That's for sure. How about, how yeah. about you guys? No, it was it was uh, it was a lot of fun and, and much appreciated to everybody that hopped on and listened and joined and joined in on the comments. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and I can only imagine we do that in the future and it's a little bit busier of a deadline. Uh, it'll be even more fun. So good stuff though. That's for sure. Good stuff. Yeah. I want to say uh, kudos to the hockey royalty live fans. They're hundred deep for the entire three hours, which was, yeah. which was great. Um, you guys hit it off quick with a trade right off the get go. thinking <laughs> it was going to be like, go shooting McGavin the whole time. And then just dead mm-hmm. air. Uh, you guys filled it quite, uh, quite well. So, uh, kudos to you guys. Appreciate it, Randy. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it was good. It was good, Russ. I thought I thought it was yeah. good. So let's get into Nate the trade line reaction. Became the the spotlight figure for us for a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh let's get into the trade deadline reactions. Obviously, the big one was Gavrikov and Cooper Salo. Uh, we got a we got a centerman coming in here. Been practicing with the team. You know he's adding to the stash gang uh, with Fiala. Uh, if you know if if anything is is could be taken away from that trade, Austin Wagner, longtime King, going out to Chicago. And a little bit of minor reactions here and there, but they were clearing out cap for something big, and nothing came across the board. So we we got what we got. I think the team's better off a little bit. Um, Joe, you published an article with the trade reaction and and giving a grade. Uh, I want you guys to kind of go deeper into the article about why you guys gave the grade that you did, where you guys are seeing, and then maybe, maybe if you want to adjust it after the two games that you've seen so far, start with sure. you. Sure. Sure. So yeah. And just so everybody knows on hockey road too, is myself, Russell, uh, Kiffin McGinnis and Pavel also uh, uh, gave grief grades um, as to what we all thought of the trade deadline. I, um, I ended up being the low man. I ended up giving a C plus, which it actually felt a little harsh. Um, and maybe it is. Um, and it's not necessarily a knock on what was brought in. Like, I think Corpus Allo obviously addresses a need. Um, he's a significant upgrade on Quick. Although, last I checked, Quick, did Quick end up getting a shout-out today? Last I checked, they were up 3 nothing. I don't know if you <laughs> No. He actually gave up three goals in, within a couple of minutes and third No. Oh. It was four to, but they won 4-3. to three. Well, there you go. So, anyway, so he's a big upgrade on Jonathan Quick. Um I do wonder how much of an upgrade he'll be on Copley, but even still, it gives them a good 
two, you know, uh, a one-two punch. So that's good. Gavrikov, I think, is somebody that if he were to come in, um, if I knew he were coming in to be like a third pair left D playing, you know, kind of sheltered minutes, penalty kill, not against top players, not not getting top minutes, um, then I think I'd probably I could probably bump that grade to like a B minus. Uh, but I get nervous that he may see some time get too much time in the top four against some of these better teams. When you're playing the Edmontons, the Vegas, as you get into playoff hockey, you know, I, I just, I do wonder about that, which is why that makes me a little nervous. And I, I don't even know if that's going to happen. We'll wait to find out come playoff time. Right. But that's what makes me a little cautious. And really the reason that, because I, I was pretty much going to do like a B minus, but then the, the reason I settled on a C plus was at just, and you alluded to it, Randa, when the cap space opened up, it felt like a, somewhat of a missed opportunity for the Kings to do something more impactful. Um, whether wait, that was, wait, let me pause that. you there, Joe, right here. Sure. You sure. said it, the reason they should go impactful. Would you have been okay with an overpay at that point on the trade deadline to bring somebody impactful in? I guess it depends on overpay, what that definition means. Um, like, uh, would you been okay? Would... You, you, if you called it an overpay, but you bring an impact, impactful player in, are you okay with that at that like point? Room, because was they the tried to make a move. Yeah. So there was two, there was a couple of names that were, that were about that were now only one, one of these two, I should be clear was linked to Los Angeles. And that was obviously Jacob Jikrin, the rumored price of two first and Tobias Bjornfoot. Uh, I would have jacked up that prospect big time. Now, again, maybe, maybe Arizona still, wants to go with Ottawa's first, but I would have absolutely included Jordan Spence and probably another prospect on top of that to see if that sweetened it. No question. Um, the other name that that I think was they were heavily linked to trade this guy, Marcus Pedersen, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the summer. They didn't. They traded Matheson. There were rumors again that Pedersen was going to be on the move because they were working on something potentially with Vancouver. If Marcus Pedersen was somebody that was available – that Bjornfoot and two first, I would offer it for Pedersen type of thing. Uh, same same deal, yes, because that is your legitimate like two at two hundred foot defenseman. Same thing, like that. That's him and Chicken are more. They're different. They're not the same player. They're different in how they how they do it, but they're both two hundred foot defensemen. And so I, I would have been all in on something like that. So it's just and and or even you know Russ Russ talked a lot about a forward, a, a kind of an maybe impacts a wrong word, but a, a legitimate bottom six forward. So it just felt like, and, and I'm sure the conversations probably happened, but it, it did feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity. Um, maybe that's just, uh, that's my fault for, for having those particular maybe expectations or hopes, if you will, that's totally on me. Um, but that's why I kind of dinged them just a little bit. It felt like it was an opportunity to do a little bit more. And, uh, but again, there was, there was plenty of good, right? They did address a couple of, of, of needs and I really liked the Pertillo edition. So, so you, are you settling on a C plus or, or uh, you it may feel, up? it still feels a little harsh, but I'll, I'll, I'll settle on the C plus I'll settle there. And whether it's a C plus or a B minus they're passing. It's just, yeah. you know, <laughs> See, I'm gonna highlight two. I'm gonna highlight two word, two words you said, Joe, and that was missed opportunity. Okay. Because, I mean, the expectations and the hopes that you had for another player coming in was all was because of what Rob Blake said. Is he was looking for more of a depth piece to help with the lineup, and he had also mentioned the cap space that was created from shipping out Jonathan Quick. 
I gave a B minus. I mean, it, I think we'd be kidding ourselves and not by saying that the Kings didn't improve as a team mm-hmm. with Gavrikov and Corpusalo. I mean, you can make a legitimate argument that the Kings have the best one-two punch in goaltending in the Pacific Division right now. Legitimate. Yep. You look at the Oilers, the Golden Knights, the, the Kraken. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I think after 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 you see that trade and Rob Blake comes out with that press conference, everybody was kind of had heard what he had said. We were like, okay, what else you got percolating here? What else is cooking um, and coming down the pipeline? And and after the trade deadline passes, it's only like Zach McEwen and Brendan Lemieux's gone and, and whatnot. There wasn't really anything. I mean, Zach McEwen is just – Friend of the Muse replacement, I'd be surprised if he played more than a couple of games with Kings down the stretch here. So it's it's tough because first of all, we we've kind of talked a lot about how we think of Gavrikov as a player. And I don't know if we were necessarily as high on him as maybe the team maybe kind of seems to be at the Clearly. time. I mean, paying a first and third and shipping out Jonathan Quick's contract in the meantime as well as bringing in Corpus Allo. So a lot of our opinions and why the grades we're giving is because of what we feel the impact of Gavrikov in the lineup will be, right? I mean, when but when you when you talk about Corpus Allo, I think Corpus Allo is the bigger name here. I think, especially from what we saw in this last game against St. Louis, mm-hmm. and what he has been able to do in play, different playoff series, I put Corpus Allo's name right up there with a lot of the Western Conference goaltenders that come in the division. I mean, I think he's right behind uh, Ottinger and Hellebuck, being maybe top three, possibly. So, and I mean, we've so seen, ahead. yeah, we've seen, we've seen goaltenders carry teams throughout the playoffs. So, I like the Corpus Allo move more than I like the Gavrikov move. Agreed. The thing is, I I'm, but I don't want to say I hate the Gavrikov move. It's like it's like we're we're kind of well, bending let me see on let me see if this helps you so I, I had mentioned this I responded to somebody on Twitter the other day like I think Gavrikov serves a role right mm-hmm. he, he you've seen it the first two games he's long he he breaks plays up he can block shots he plays defensively like he'll 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 dabble here and there in the offensive zone he's a very kind of safe ish player right like he he doesn't do too much doesn't try to do too much stays within himself that's great right there's nothing wrong with that the concern i think russ and is mm-hmm. hypothetically like would you prefer to see a guy like jared anderson dolan blake lazat carl grunstrom get consistent second line minutes because probably not right because now they're not in there where they should be slotted and that's this that's how i look at this gavrikov is i'm not saying the guy can't play or shouldn't be on the team or doesn't serve a role I, I I just I worry slash question if he can play top four minutes because we have seen when he plays I shouldn't say top four when he plays top pair minutes like he did in Columbus it was bad he couldn't handle it mm-hmm. and and I don't want to say well he was on Columbus he was on a bad team well there are other defensemen that handled it better than he did okay so let's if we're gonna be fair so slot him where he's going to be successful and you know listen i expect todd mcclellan's going to jumble him around right that he's got to see yeah. where he fits he's going to play with roy sometimes he's going to play with walker sometimes he may play with jersey sometimes he's got to try to see what fits so i totally understand that but like the way i look at this russ is and fast forward to the summer what are the kings still looking for 
lefty too. Lefty. It's the same conversation that we've had for a year. So that's why I, that's another thing, Randy, where I kind of looked at him like, they didn't really fix it. They sort of kind of tiptoed around it and got a Band-Aid. They put a Band-Aid on it, I guess you could say. Now, if Gavrikov stays and he's LD3, great. I think he'd be really good there. I don't know if he will be really good, but he might be. He could be. Right, that's all I'm. That's all the all that I think we're trying to say, Russ, is it's. But it yeah. gets misconstrued sometimes, where it's like, oh, you guys, you don't like Gavrikov. Like, we no, don't like Gavrikov. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's just where these guys slot, and what makes the best teams the best teams. You got guys slotted in where they belong. I saw a tweet today. Matt Grizzlick in Boston's having a really good season. He's had a healthy scratch today. Now, obviously, Boston's one of the. They're going to win the Presidents Trophy, but the point is, you don't have guys that can't or shouldn't be playing top four minutes, playing top four minutes on cup contending teams. It's the way yeah. it go. That's all I'm I, saying. I just, I, I think you're right there. And, and the reason I didn't put my, uh, put my grade yeah, the in, in the article right, that you read, <laughs> I was saving it for the pod, man. I was saving it for the pod. Um, I'm going to go harder than you guys. I'm giving a C. And the reason being is I think this is a lot of extrapolating on what could happen with this team. If you bring in Chikrin, it's an automatic, he's the best defenseman on our team. And everybody can laugh at me or or make your jokes when you listen to this that Dowdy's the best defenseman on our team. But if Trickin brought in, he's a top three player on our team. Instant, no 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 doubt about it. Bettering of the Kings. Does Gavrikov make our team better? Yes, but where? Playing playing third line, playing second line. I mean, no offense to Mikey Anderson, but Trickin's better than you. Like it just really is. Like he instantly makes our team better in a in a, in a meaningful way. The Corpus Allo right here is is the only wild card that I think that my grade can go from a C to an A because if you yeah. get hot goaltending because Corpus Allo can be that goaltender, he's shown in the past the Kings are lethal. But is it just is it just the golden is it just the uh, Blue Jackets? Is it just the team he was on? The amount of shots that he faced? Are the metrics underlying his bad team good enough? It's really a lot of unknown and a lot of hypothetical with this yeah. grade here. It is. It is. And, and Randy, oh, sorry, go ahead. And I just think that you're looking at like, and Portillo, I like Portillo, but is he going to yeah. sign? Is he going to be the goaltender that we saw two years ago in, uh, on Michigan? Is he going to be the savior? Of the, the I think a lot of people on Twitter are thinking Portillo is going to be the savior of this franchise. I think a lot of people on Twitter think that Gabrikov is going to be LD too. I think a lot of people on Twitter thinks Corpus Allo is such an upgrade over what we have right now instantly without even with with one start under the belt on the kings that this this trades an a and i and i just don't think this trade deadline is that i think i think it's a c because there's all unknown for me what i know right now the trade is a c what could be I, proven to me in the future could yeah. bump that up a lot because because i i think that there's a lot of progression with Corpus Allo. I think there's a lot of progression with Portillo. Obviously, that won't be answered for two or three years down the road, right? Um, or even longer. But I think that McEwen definitely adds a bigger center center aspect. I think against a lot of the tougher teams, he could slot in for Kupari, throw some hands, you know, bang some bodies, do that kind of stuff, and help the team out, especially in a playoff series where you need size. I think Gabrikov brings the size in. He's not afraid to to throw his weight around and, and everything like that. I think there's a lot of things that I do like about it. There's just not the instant where I know this team is better. The instant where I know this team is better is Chikrin, and we lost on that. And and if the fact that Blake was unwilling to move 
uh, Kaliev or whoever for for uh, for Chikrin. I mean, outside of Byfield and uh, and and Clark and maybe Velarde now, the way that he's playing this year, I, th- I think that they should have made the move. Like Bjorn Foots, your sweetener, like that's not enough to get it done. And I think that there was a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of unknowns in this trade deadline for me to give it anything above a C. And it's not that I'm not optimistic. I just think that I just I'm grading based on what I know now. And what I know now is a fog. Two two quick things to add to that. Yeah, because here's the thing. We talk about hashtag goalies all the time. Corpus Hollow's track record is very shaky, but he's had a really good year. If he mm-hmm. continues on with this really good year, then great. Then it's probably going to be a pretty good upgrade. But goalies are goalies, and they could go in funks. He's in a new environment. Game one, flying colors. Okay, Great. So hopefully that's the case. The other thing is this, and this is what makes all these trade post-trade conversations and grades so difficult is we don't know what the conversations were, right? I mean, what if, what if Arizona said, guys, it's Clark or bust. So get out, you know, they could have said that. And we don't know what, if they said that, then, then it's hard to say that, that Then I'm a firm no. So, so that's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's why I do want to be a little bit more fair in that we don't actually know what some of these ass and what the hard lines were from these guys. So, and even the Bjorn foot for the, in the two first, that's a rumor. Like, it's not like Rob Blake came out and said that this is what we offer guys. Like who knows? Okay. So that's, I I do want, that's why I do try to tread lightly with some of this stuff. We're just going off of stuff that we've heard. You know, I, I, as I've said before, I know nothing. So. Yeah. Our, like I think our grades are based off of what happened, not what we heard or what's been rumored out there. All that I'm grading off of what I how, how I feel Gavrikov will impact the team, how I feel Corpusal will impact the team, but also how I feel Rob Blake kind of miss. I don't want to say misled everybody, but he did. Like I said, he he mentioned the depth. He, he was looking for depth, and it just never happened. So there's a couple things here, and I want to echo kind of what Joe said, is we were more worried, I guess, of where, where Gavrikov would play in the lineup when he came over and how it would affect the defensive pairings for the lineup when he's on the Kings. First two games, he's looked really good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's they're winning, and, and it's, it's been great. Flying colors as analytical numbers are, are off the charts. Let's not, let's not, like, let's call it what it is. They've played the Montreal Canadiens and the St. Louis Blues. So two of the worst teams in five-on-five five in the last few weeks or so. So there's that. So And and we've also seen McClellan kind of shift the defensive pairs with Gavrikov playing with Walker against Montreal. You kept Jersey and Roy together, and then he switched it up with Edler coming in, playing with Jersey. You have Jersey going back to the right side, and Gavrikov playing with Roy. We're – a lot of people kind of expected that to be, but I think from you and I, you and I, Joe, Edler Jersey scares the living hell out of us. It really does. And if the first game tells us anything, I mean, let alone it's the first game and Jersey's playing so much on the left side, he's got to adapt back to the right side. It's not a good start. Right. A reserve judgment to say to like plan the parade, saying that we were right about this uh, for after the first game, but it's still. With Gavrikov and Roy tied together, Edler is going to be in the lineup. That's the thing. I so think this, if, yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, for me, 
this if if you want to keep if if you're going to bring Gabrikov over, you have to keep Dursey and Roy together. You have to because if you don't move dirt if you if you keep Dursey on the right or on the left side, you open up all the offensive capabilities that he's been able to provide on that side. I mean, we're we've been kind of questioning the decision to keep him there at the beginning of the year, but that's because we were hoping for another impactful player to come in on that spot, and it just hasn't happened. So if you don't have that impact player playing on the left side, you have to keep Jersey and Roy together because now with him on the right side, you're limiting a lot of chances he's going to be able to create in the offensive zone because when you're off your offside, it's easier to get to the middle of the ice, shooting lane, and all that good stuff. It's just been a rough first start for this pairing. I really hope they go back to it with Jersey and Roy together and you have Gabrikov either with Walker or why not try Jordan Spence there in that position, who's probably even better than Sean Walker at this point. It's just – it brings a lot of questions that we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see yeah. how this team performs against better competition because it's been a great start. I'm happy with everything that Gabrikov's been able to provide against these first in these first two games. But let's see how he does maybe against like Colorado, Edmonton, all these probably better teams – at five on five, and then we'll see how, how Tom McClellan manages it. After that. I, I think Joe, what, I want to I want to go base unless you have a direct reply to that. Well, I I do because what one thing that makes me like I would echo that, and what makes me more nervous is I think that's a good point about the Edler Jersey pairing, but also just the idea that there's Gavrikov and Edler in the lineup together. Mm-hmm. Like I know they're obviously not on the same pair, but again, it it feels. Like we're there's a lack of pace there, and there's a lack of that. That makes me a little nervous. There's a lack of being able to move pucks efficiently. So that also makes again, I don't know. Maybe we're wrong, and this is going to work great. I'm just <laughs> like I said, we're just trying to explain what we what we know of the player and how we think it fits, and we'll see what happens. But that's what makes me nervous too. It's kind of like we're almost just talking about what we're going to be looking for after this trade sure. in the next couple games, so next yeah. few weeks until the end of the season. This is what we'll be watching. Is we'll be watching these pairs, and because Anderson Doughty is not going anywhere, that pair no. needs to stay together. You're not switching up that. Agreed. So it's really going to be what's going to happen in these bottom four pairings or bottom whatever. So <laughs> if you have Edler in the lineup, it, it scares me all at all. The Edler Jersey's pairing scares me, and I said that. And sure enough, after the first game, it's been a rough start. So this is what we're going to see. How McClellan kind of sees how Gavrikov and where he's playing him will impact the team going forward. I just, what I was going to get to add was a kind of a, a base off what you said with Spence and you threw in Spence there. Will T-Mac as the playoffs get closer or even Rob Blake for that matter, realize that they're like Edler and Gavrikov, the same player, but 10 years apart to where like, there's no difference there. Like, and you have a real, gap in your team to where I get, I get it for 82 games, bringing up Spence and, and, you know, making this guy uh, Walker go through, you know, you know, all the, um, the waivers and everything like that. I get it. But with 10 games to go or 20 games to go, do you bring up Spence to really make sure that you go all in? I mean, a first round pick is all in. In my eyes, first round pick is all in. So, so where is, where is, uh, especially if you're not getting a top, I mean, I think Chickren's top 15 in the league, if not top 10. 
at, at, at as a defenseman. And so if you're not giving up a first round pick for that, then it's all in at that point. Like you're, you're giving up a first round pick for the duo. And then do you not put the best six defensemen on the ice? And for me, Walker's had its moments, but he's not that. I think Spence is better than Walker. And, and I obviously people listening to this podcast know, I think Clark is better than Walker. So like, where is the, the movement there like is it tuna like bringing up movare and playing him on the third and like you know at least you're getting a youthful guy that can play night in and night out like ever seems like he needs like three days of rest in a row to be effective and like i don't mean to harp on the old man but i'm 36 years old and it's, sometimes it's hard for me to get out of bed let alone play hockey so um i don't know i just think it's like it feels like we're miss, still missing after the trade deadline. it feels like we're still missing something to be excited about even though the last two games we've dominated, I feel like overall, this feels like there's still like a tick that we haven't reached. I, um, yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. And I think though, I, I'd be pretty, uh, barring injury, I'm a little skeptical. I think that we'll see Jordan Spence play impactful minutes. And the only reason I say that is because, and Todd McCullen, so LA Kings insider Zach Dooley had his, his uh, article today about recapping practice and whatnot. And Todd McClellan had a quote that said, you know, we have seven defensemen and they're all going to play right now because he has to. He has to figure out. He's got a sprint of time. He's got less than 20 games to figure out what pairings work. Where's Gavrikov playing? Who's Edler playing with? Is Jersey going to play right? Is Jersey going to play left? Where does Walker fit in this? He's got enough to figure out over these next 15, 20 games here that I'm not saying that he couldn't incorporate a Jordan Spence into that. I just don't see it barring an injury. I think he's got to figure out within this seven where, what works best. And listen, the the last game comes down to two players. It comes down to Walker and Edler. Sure. Well, I mean, so next game, would we be a surprise to see Walker back in and Edler out maybe because because the Gavrikov and Roy went well, do they go back to Edler Walker? Right. I think we'll start to see things like that. I think we're going to just see some some interchanging of some of some of these guys to see what fits and what works. And I and I don't know what that the best combo. I wouldn't be surprised to see an Edler or excuse me, a, a Gavrikov Dursey at some point in this, too. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just he's he's only got a, a, a short amount of time to figure out what pairings he likes and what pairings he wants to take into playoffs. Yeah, it's actually weird. I mean, you just kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I mean, Gavrikov in Jersey sounds pretty good to me, to be honest with you, because we've seen that there's precedent there because we've seen Edler and Roy be so good together. But the thing is, is you're dropping probably your more steady, I guess he's the most steady defenseman back down to the third pair in Matt Roy, who's been mm-hmm. a little bit more an offensive type uh, defenseman lately. So it's just tough because – I, I think they're really trying to see how much they can get out of Gavrikov Roy, which I think is just so unfortunate because I would rather have Jersey on the left side, have Edler coming out of the lineup, play Gavrikov Walker together, and then you have still situations where you can put Gavrikov and Roy on the ice together and be the shutdown pair you need him to in situations like late minute game with a net hold, penalty killing. I mean, even minutes after power play when Jersey's on yep. the ice with the second unit and you can send Gravikoff and Roy out there together. So I still, I still see just because I mean, in a playoff series and against Edmonton, 
man, the Edler jersey pair will just get eaten up or anyone who paired with Edler on the third pair. And I, I know it's just the third pair of minutes. They don't get that much ice time. But I don't know. The, the first real game we've seen it happen has been rough. And Jersey made another a mistake that we really hadn't seen Jersey make in quite some time in his first game in that position. So it's been a rough start, is all I'll say. And we'll see how it happens in the next few games. And it's just, just when you look at the when you look at the players and 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 again I know people get all bent out of shape when you look at you know some of the analytical stuff but like Matt Roy even for as good as he is kind of defensively he's he's actually not been great when you look under the hood at some of his like retrievals numbers and his exit number even even his his zone entry stuff he's 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 not as steady Eddie Matt Roy as he has been in the past so that Gavrikov Roy duo makes me nervous down the road as well, um, depending on the matchup, of course. Because, again, the higher you play up in the lineup, the better opponents you're going to see, right? If you're going to play second pair, you're going to see Leon Dreisaitl if they're, if they're split. Yeah. I don't want to see Leon Dreisaitl with that pair. So it, it's that's all. It, it's just trying to see what fits, and that's that's the game that McClellan's got here for a little bit to try to see what works. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, think, I think we're going to get – we have a lot of unknown here, and I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of teams that hit home runs – we know what Timo Meyer is. We faced him multiple times. New Jersey hit that out of the park. I don't care if Mac McDoolin, whatever his name is, Shadir Mac McDoolin is the best left shot defenseman in his draft class. I don't care if the first round pick ends up being an all star. We know what Timo Meyer is, and he's a game changer. And New Jersey got better, and that's the price you pay for that type of of trade. There's just a lot of up in the air for the Kings, and we'll see how that works out. And not hindsight might be 2020 right we might see a a, a very good mm-hmm. trade and this might become a great value and we'll get into that joe before you go into your point here let's talk to our friends at DraftKings. uh DraftKings here the action never ends at DraftKings sportsbook especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on your favorite sports you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before plus right now DraftKings sportsbook is getting new customers a risk-free bet of up to a thousand dollars that's right Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if that doesn't win, get your shot at another chance to cash in. You can throw it down on all major action, baseball, golf, MMA, and more, plus same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, props. Your betting options feel endless. Do you want to bet the Kings in the over along with a Velarde goal because he's hot? Hey, if you want to double-dip and get a Ovechkin power play goal, you can do just that. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. But your first deposit, a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions may apply. See show notes for details. Joe, you were about to to dip into something, I think, at the deep end of the pool. Why don't you start off with that? Uh, I, all I was going to say is, to, if we we're going to, if we were ready to move on, the last thing I'll say in this is it. It by all accounts, all accounts, it seems like the LA Kings got two, at least two. I don't know enough about Zach McCune yet, although I did see him sign an autograph today for a kid for giving him a stick. They got genuinely great teammates and great human beings. Which, hey, that's. I just want to make sure that that's mentioned too. These guys seem like like great guys to have around the team and in the room. McEwen, great mustache, great autographer. Mustache. Sucks at rock paper scissors because he lost first try against that <laughs> that little kid. So, uh, bone up on your skills there, McEwen. Uh, I think let's get into the game recap. So now I think the game recaps are after a trade deadline. Everybody wants to see how the trades 
affect this team in playing. Obviously, we didn't get any major teams coming in Montreal and St. Louis. No offense to them, but they're just not juggernauts. But we still got ample videotape of of Gavrikov and and Copperillo and and uh, and so what do you guys think about how they played in these last two games? How do you think the team kind of fared in with their action? And then was there any positives outside those two players? I'll start with Russ. It's it's funny because they've almost used these two games as like an experiment, like a test throughout. Because I mean, it's it's been lucky because you're playing. Like we mentioned, it's the Canadians and the Blues. They're horrible. So you have that opportunity there. And there's there's a couple situations that I've been watching. And, and obviously, number one is probably the defensive pairs and see how they line up. The first the first night, I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Sean Walker had that air, but Gabrikov was there to clean him up. And actually, all three defensive pairs had a really good, good night uh, in terms of the analytics. Uh, but it was pretty close game, three to two. Um, and then there's also the second game where they had him switched up a little bit, and we saw still Sean Dursey make the error, but no one was there to save him. Unfortunately, it was on the power play, so it's a little different of a situation. So that was something we were watching. And then there's also another thing where I think a lot of Kings fans have been watching the last maybe few weeks or so, and that's where Kevin Fiala has been slotting at on the Deneau line with Arvidsson um, there too. And it hasn't really worked out too well. Uh, last game, it looked really good. And it seems like Kevin Fiala is like right there the last few games too. But I don't know. There's still too much going on in the defensive zone. They're, they're allowing way too many chances on their own end of the ice. And, and especially with the way that we've seen Gabe Velarde kind of peak his game a little bit more. Um, since he's come back and now he's, it looks like he's fully 100% healthy and including that ridiculous goal he had against Bennington last night or the other night. That was awesome. So a lot of people have been hoping, and especially myself included, to see Fiala switch with Lozada again and have Velarde back on the line. So it's just tough because McClellan himself has come out and said that he sees three really good players there and they're just still kind of trying to figure it out. And He's using these games to see if he can find something there. But I don't know. It hasn't really worked out. And even though they're winning, I'm sure maybe it's still – he still kind of lets that continue. I would like to see those two switched. I would like to see Velarde back up with Deneau, especially with the way he's playing. Those three have had some chemistry together. And especially with Fiala and Lazat, he's had, they've had some chemistry together. So there's a couple changes. We'll see what happens. They play against the Capitals, which is, in another, which is another non-playoff team. Um, even though they put up eight goals against the Sharks. I think this is also another uh, chance for McClellan to kind of experiment a little bit more uh, with these defensive pairings, keep Arvidsson with uh, Deneau or Fiala with Deneau and Arvidsson, and then go from there because on Thursday you're in Colorado, and Colorado's always going to put up a fight, and we'll see what happens there. I you think, have to uh, check me in. Go ahead, Randon. Yeah, I, I think – I think my my keyboard is still a little bit sticky with all the olive oil that uh, Gabe Velarde had on his mitts because that boy was silky. <laughs> that Italian stallion with those moves, uh, forget about it, right? But I, I think you're right because you're looking at – I think there's a lot of ta- in the tangibles with Fiala being on the first line, right? The the opportunities were fast and furious on both sides. We score goals, give a lot of goals. But right now that second line is giving up goals but not really scoring much, right? Because all the chances are, oh, this is so close. This is there. And it's not yeah. really like being validated with offensive points 
to be worth the uh, you know the the high volume defensive chances. And I I just think it's something that that if they were scoring, we'd be okay with it, just like we were okay with Fiala being on the first line. But we still knew that something wasn't right. Like it wasn't clicking on every cylinder, where there was no doubt that it was clicking on every cylinder with Lazat and and um, and I follow. So, like I understand T Mac has got to do what he's got to do. He's got a lot of variables going on, especially just not in the decor, but in the in the forward lines. But Velarde's uh, back, and I, I think that he's earned a chance to be back on the second line and see what he does there. And, and that gives them a little bit different of a feel. You got a facilitator in Velarde who can also score. You got to know that can kind of muck up the pucks, get into the corners and they're all big bodies besides Arvidsson. I think that might be a good pairing and, 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 and put Fiala back on the third line. Cause it, he's been unpenetrable to where he's been placed on, on the, on the team first, second, third pairing. He's, he scored regardless of, of where he's been at. Joe, before we go back to what Russell started off with was the D pairs, do you want to add anything to where Fiala's been placed? I couldn't agree more. I think he should go. I, I haven't liked the fit. I think it was so good with Lazat, and it really stretched out the lineup. Um, but if correct me if I'm wrong, I, I thought I saw on the Twitter machine that Trevor Moore was skating in a regular jersey today. If I, I don't with know. A visor. Both him and Byfield were wearing a visor. Okay. Um, so if, I don't know, I mean, if he's going to be back when he comes back, I put him back with Deneau and Arvidsson, but even if he doesn't, I agree. I would switch even like, listen, even if it isn't Velarde, you know, I, I know yeah. loves Aya follow, even if he puts Aya follow back up with, with Deneau and Arvidsson, they've had some success too. I just think the Lazat or Fiala is not, it's not a fit there for me. At least it's not seeing, seeming to be that way. Um, at least in the short term here, I agree so, so Russ, we were talking about the defensemen, and you were talking about the the pairings and trying to fix them back and forth. Going forward, you know, you're looking at, like you said, Colorado speed up the wazoo. I mean, uh, they're often injured, but they still got a, a pretty good depth. Uh, Washington put just put up eight, even though they're not in the playoffs in a sense, but they still got Kudnetsov and Ovechkin. No matter how many Coca Colas he drinks on the bench, he still has a hard one of the hardest slap shots in the game. Like, is this? What we've seen, is it indicative of what we can expect going forward, or where do you think the experiments still happen within the, the decor? I think the experiments will go on for at least a couple more games. Um, the Kings are pretty much – I don't want to jinx them or anything, but it seems like they're more than likely going to the playoffs. So you have these opportunities to kind of play with it a little bit more. Um, but the, the, the Pacific Division is right there for the taking, and they should definitely be going for that. Um, I think there's one word that we've heard throughout the season that is kind of missing from this team right now, and that's balance. It, it, it seems like with Fiala on the second pair, Gavrikov on the second – or with Fiala on the second line, Gavrikov on the second pair, you're losing a lot of balance throughout the lineup. We just talked a lot about how it's impacted Jersey, how it might impact Jersey going forward on that third pair with Edler, and how it's kind of impacted the forward lineup a little bit with Fiala on the second line. It almost seems like I was trying to look up the stats right now. I, don't, I wonder how much. I wonder how what's what Kevin Fiala's point production is when he plays like 15, 16 minutes a night, as opposed to maybe seven, 17 plus minutes a night. Because it seems like he's more of a impactful player when he's not really on the ice too much. He's going against the lesser competition, and he has those opportunities to still get those off offensive points. So, 
I think that'll be something to watch. Um, and then also with Trevor Moore coming back, that'll be it'll be curious to see if maybe they just put the nice line back together, which actually probably wouldn't be opposed to doing. And then having Fiala with Lazat and Flardy sounds pretty good, but then you're putting I follow on the fourth line, which maybe that might not be the worst thing for him. Okay. Because it seems like even though he's paying for being paid four million dollars, we've always kind of talked about him being just the player that's a, a really a third line player on a really on maybe a Stanley Cup team. So I don't know. It's just I think that sounds a little bit more exciting to me. And I wonder if Todd kind of feels the same. What do you what do you think, Joe? So you think, I want I want to I want to piggyback off off you, Russ, real quick. And the fact that Fial in the third line kind of seems like basketball ISO, where you get the best player on the ice. Obviously, the third line isn't going against top competition. And you just isolate the best player on the ice, constantly give him the puck, feed him, let him do what he wants against lesser competition. And even though he's not playing as many minutes, he's twice as effective because he's able to dominate his competition. Joe, are you that's, seeing that's, that? And is that go ahead, Russ? I want to, but real quick, I want to say, like, I think you're right 100% because with that second line, what's been always so good about that nice line? It's so it's like cohesion. They're mm-hmm. always seem like they're doing, they know exactly what the other one's doing. with with Fiala, you don't see that cohesion with Deneau. It almost seems like Deneau's been kind of frustrated playing with him at certain points. With with Lazad, what's been so good with him, and Joe's tracks it too, is his shot assists. He's always finding the opportunity to give his teammates the chance to score. And with Fiala, he's always looking for a chance to score. So we're missing that cohesion with that second second line with Fiala there in that spot. Sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, no, I, I... – couldn't agree more. I I, th- I think that's exactly. I think that's right. And and I would suspect that uh, that that McClellan will probably go with. Uh, he'll probably keep I follow with if uh, if he puts more back with with Deneau and Arvidsson. I would suspect that it's I follow that stays. And Velarde is probably on the fourth line with Kapari and Kaliev. I, I I. Oh, that sounds so gross. I just so don't terrible. think he would put I follow down on the fourth line. I, I don't no. know. Something tells me he won't do that. So, and looking at the schedule, somebody double check me here, but they have seven games against playoff teams the rest of the way. That's it. That exactly. this schedule's and one of those is you know Colorado's going to be tough, but they're they're down a lot of horses. But so what you what I would do? So I agree, Russ. Like here's the thing, like that that bottom pair. I uh, we we've talked at length. I like Gavrikov down there and Edler not in the lineup. But since I don't think that's the Kings thinking, if I'm McClellan, I do roll with I any of these seven playoff matchups. I get as much of Gavrikov on the second pair as I can handle. So you can see if he works there. Like, I don't think it will, but maybe in the Kings system, he can hold his own. So if the Kings do intend on potentially using him as a second pair D-man, I want to see him against Colorado, against Edmonton, particularly they're in Colorado, right? And they're going to be in Edmonton at the end of the month. So it's away team, away matchups. They, the away team, or excuse me, the home team gets gets to decide who's going against them. I want to see how he handles those minutes in those particular games. Not to say I don't care, especially when he hasn't played in forever, which is Gavrikog, this is how he does against – you know, St. Louis and Montreal. That's great. I mean, anything less, you know, we got a big problem if we paid the price we paid for this guy. So it worked. It's it's going well right now. But when the rubber hits the road, 
I want to see how he plays. And I'm sure that's what McClellan's thinking. He's like, I need to see this kid against these top teams to see, can I trust him in the playoffs? Can I trust him in this role in playoffs? Because that's what it's going to be about. So I do think there's going to be more experimenting going on, but I would rather him actually get those second pair of minutes against the big boys, see what, see what happens, see how he does. And more importantly, to Russ's point, see how Edler Dersey does or Edler mm-hmm. Walker against those teams. So that's, that's how I would, um, I think, approach this. Yeah, those seven games against those playoff teams are going to be huge tests. And experimenting is pretty much what we're probably going to be seeing for the next few games because there's also another player we haven't really mentioned that Rob Blake just talked about in his press conference that has now become a very important piece in this whole thing. With them not doing any more in terms of trades, Rasmus Kupari is the legitimate fourth-line center of this team. That's not changing. He's not going anywhere. So is that really what you want to see? I mean, we've seen flashes of Kapari's game, but that, I mean, he's, he's got to have maybe probably a lot of pressure on him now in terms of pen, the penalty kill, certain face-off situations. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's going to be an important player to watch these last few stretch of games too. I really like I'll I'll follow follow I'll, line. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll stand up for my boy Kapari. I mean, four for four in his last game in face-offs getting quality penalty kill minutes. But you're right, though, Russ. I mean, there's some games where that the whole line is just hemmed in, and there just feels like mm-hmm. you're getting, uh, for lack of a better word, you're getting the scraps of the rest of the, the rest of the pairing trying to figure it out, and they're, they're, not, they're not providing either. So, like, something's got to change, and I think that key is Fiala. And once Fiala figures, goes back down to the third line or you figure out some other, um, you know, uh, motion of the ocean, if you will, that fourth line might be able to resonate on a higher level, but they're just not. They're just not. It's not working. I mean, Kaliev hasn't been the same man five on five since he's come back from injury. Kupari's playing well enough in penalty kill, and I'm and I I'm, I applaud him, and I want to give him all the props in the world for finding a niche for him to stay in the lineup because we knew that he needed to do that, and he's found that in the penalty kill. But that fourth line hasn't been effective at night in and night out, or more often than not. And so I, I just think there that you're right. There is a big uh, question mark there with how that whole thing shakes out. I mean, Kewen is a is another thing as well. Like obviously he's you look at his player card, not exciting whatsoever, but he offers the same thing that Lemieux offered. And I appreciate Lemieux for what he offered to this team the two years. Obviously, he said uh in all his social media accounts that he loved playing here. He really appreciated this locker room and he's sad to go. So uh, you know, thank you, Lemieux, for everything that you did for this team. I mean, last year you had a run that made every fan appreciative with your goals and fights and everything like that. But bringing it back to McEwen, like, is he going to offer the size and and the grit that that fourth line needs at the expense of one of your best penalty killers on this team in Rasmus Kupari, even though the five on five isn't great? I think there's a lot of another mix ups that need to happen there, too. So I, full disclosure, like I feel way better about and my opinion of Gavrikov than I do about McEwen. I just haven't seen enough of him. I haven't had to take in the time yet this weekend to actually go back and watch video of Zach McEwen. As you mentioned, his, his, uh, his under the hood looks really bad, but it's it's I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen him play a lick, so I do try to do a little bit of a combo. Like, yes, first glance, I'm going to look and see what some of the numbers are, but I, you know, without seeing him, I don't want to put like a blanket statement on it. That said, again, if McClellan 
needs to use him in playoffs, he's got to know what he's got. So he's got to play a handful of games here down the stretch. You know, I think that's and, – and the Kings are in a weird spot because I just mentioned they have a cake schedule the rest of the way. And they're already comfortably, I'll say it, in a playoff position. Obviously, the division's wide open. Where they finish, whether it's first or a wild card, I think is is, is obviously could go anywhere. But but they're in a pretty good spot to where, if yeah, if you're Todd McClellan, like you got to figure out what guys work where, and 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 you don't want McCune's first game to be, or even his second or third game to be in game three because guys got hurt you know, of playoffs. So he's got to play down the stretch here, at least a few games to get, to get in and see, get acclimated. I, again, I'm not saying that like I endorse it or I love the idea, but he's here. So if he's here, I need guys ready to go. If I'm a coach, I need guys. Do I you, need sl- do you think he go. slots in Monday night versus Washington? Do you think Good he gets question. in right away? Good question. I've, awesome. I've been, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking that he, he could very well do that. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I'll put it to you that way. Just because, like, again, I just think McClellan, he's gotten to see a lot of these guys throughout the season, obviously, so he's got a really good feel for them and how they fit and where they fit. But he doesn't right now with with Gavrikov and and McCune yet, so he may need to take some time to figure that out. I I think what we're kind of worried about here is that we get to game 82 and we're still trying to figure out how this team's going to line up game one of the playoffs. That's the worry here. And especially, you know, I mean, you could, we haven't even talked about the goaltending situation. Yeah. What do you, what do you, who's your game one starter? I don't know. Right. At this point, it's hard. I, so it, McClellan's going to have to figure out a point. He's going to have to get to a point in these next 18 games where he says, this is what I'm rolling with. And I'm going to stick with this to the game one. And especially in, in goaltending, I'm, you have to ride that goaltender and get that, keep that goaltender warm going up into game one. So, so that'll be something to watch too. I actually, I actually don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Like I, I don't, I, I don't disagree totally, but it's, if it, 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 he's got a lot of options and I don't think like there are a lot of, it's not as if they're like bad options necessarily, I guess. Well, I don't know, maybe I, again, I, I should, I, I don't know enough about McEwen, so I, I shouldn't say. And, but like, he, he's got to figure it out. The one thing with the goaltending, and this is why I gave a little pushback when people were, were saying how much the upgrade of Corpus Allo is. It's like he is, but he, you can't play two goalies. So in the games where he's not in, he's totally irrelevant. Like if they split games down the stretch, then you've paid the first for Gavrikov and Corpus Allo and Corpus Allo is sitting half the games. You see what I'm getting at? Like, how is he? He's not, like, he's improving for half the games, but he, he's not an everyday player now. But because to your point, Russ, you, you might need both these guys, right? You need Corpus Allo to play as much as he can here. I would go back to him on Monday. Um, you need him to play as much as he can because you got to get him used and comfortable to the players in the system and, and all that stuff. So you need him to play. But you can't just throw a copy to the curb because you might need him too. So you got to get him fresh. So I'd say, what is there, 18 games left? Mm-hmm. You might see a pretty close to 50-50 split, maybe 55-45 in favor of Corpus Allo to get him a couple more minutes. So it's like in, in the games, I hate to say this, but in the games where it's, you know, you got Anderson, Dowdy, Dersey, Roy, Gavrikov, Walker, Copley's in net. What did we pay for? Like, <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah. That's the same lineup. I mean, uh, yes, Gavrikov better than Edler, but like, 
you see what I'm getting at. It's like that's why I that's why I kind of landed on that C plus tying this all back to that grade round. And it's like it's not an everyday lineup fix, I don't think, because McClellan's got some juggling around to do and figure some things out. And it helps us depth wise, helps the Kings depth wise. Right. So that is inherently a good thing. So I want I want to throw a little hard question out there. Okay. I think as much as Copley has been great for the Kings, I think the only way the Kings make it past or into the Western Conference Finals, if not farther, is if Corpusella goes off. So in order 100%. for that to ha- I was actually, in order for that to happen, in order for that to happen, he needs to start seventy five percent of the games going forward. And um, you know, uh, another Kings podcast. I'll give him a shout out because this is where I got this information. All the Kings men with with Jesse is the the Blue Jackets insider said that that Copasalo was the best uh, for the Blue Jackets when he was getting getting the majority of the starts, you know, and and he was getting starts behind a, a decent team and he was able to feel out where he was at. The only way that happens in 18 games is if he starts 75%. I understand Copley has, has given us here, but I don't think Copley brings us to the Stanley Cup. Corpusello could bring us to the Stanley Cup if he gets hot. And his underlying metrics say that. He's just playing for a garbage team. And the Blue Jackets know they're a garbage team. You mm-hmm. look at Gavrikov played first-line minutes because Warinsky got hurt, and then his backup got hurt. Like, the start of the season, game one, Gavrikov was in the third line. He was on the third pair. So, like, it, on the worst team in hockey. So, like, let's let's pump the brakes here when we think that he's going to be the savior of the decor. The savior of the Kings is going to be Corpus Allo. The only way this team ever sniffs the Western Conference Championship or the Stanley Cup is if he gets hot. Because we all know what a goalie can do when they get hot. Thank you, Jonathan Quick, 2012, 2014, right? So that's my thing is like how many games is enough games for him to feel out the ice for the Kings? So I'll, so I can answer this question. And again, it's not stealing from Kevin Woodley, who was on the PDO cast and talked about this. And he said he doesn't like the idea of a trade deadline goalie move in midseason especially this late in the season it's a difficult thing to do it's not as easy as as people may make it seem it's like oh they just sit in the crease and stop the puck he's like there's a lot of nuances to it um and he said 15 to 20 games is is where he'd feel most comfortable saying okay this he this goalie is is good now obviously you may not necessarily have that kind of runway toward the end of the season here but you know that ballpark it to where if if he can get in a solid dozen games here down the stretch then maybe and he plays well then that's a good sign i would say what do you think russ 10 games yeah, I, 12 games i I'm, I'm i'm right with you there Randon. we're i don't really know i don't know who would be the game one starter but i think corpus Allo needs to be the game one starter just because of his background his experience so I mean, I agree with what Joe said too. Is I think you roll with Corpusalo again on Monday, and I'm looking at the schedule right now. I don't see any back to backs really coming up. So at this point, it's going to be tough to see if, let's say, Corpusalo performs well again on Monday. You you more than likely will ride with him again on Thursday in Colorado. If he does well, kind of see where you see what you have there: Nashville, New York Islanders, Columbus Blue Jackets, Vancouver Canucks. There's not really that other test coming. So you have to kind of keep going with Corpus Allo because, yeah, it, it, you paid a yep. first-round pick, a third-round pick, and traded away Jonathan Quick to bring these players in. So you have to show that it was worth it because you didn't utilize the cap space that you brought in. 
So these are the only plays you're stuck with in terms of making this team better, which we all agree it, they are better. But whether it is as big of an improvement as we think it is, I mean, I think I think Gavrikov is a huge improvement over Edler. I don't, I don't want to get that wrong there. I, I think there's a much bigger improvement over Edler there. But I think it could have been better, to be, to be honest with you, in terms of looking for the player. But if you only have Gavrikov in the lineup, there's there's an improvement there, but Corpusalo is like like Rainan said is the bigger impact player here in terms of what the Kings can eventually become or hopefully become in terms of Stanley Cup hopes, right? Is if Corpusalo goes in a run like we've kind of seen in past, like we when he was going against the Tampa Bay Lightning in that series with Columbus, he was lights out. I mean, 85 saves is nothing to laugh at. That's the most saves in any regular season or playoff game. So that's ridiculous. If he's able to replicate replicate that. In terms of playoff performance, yeah, I mean the Kings can really go pretty far because we've seen the way that they've been able to suppress shots. They're one of the best teams in the league in shot suppression. So if you have a goalie who's actually making saves, what they weren't getting early on in the season, definitely probably one of the favorites in the Western Conference. Yeah, one one thing I've been wondering, and I think I tweeted this the other day, is I'm curious to see. You know, every goalie is different and every goalie is comfortable at different workloads. And I wonder, because this is drastically different for Corpusalo, right? He's used to Columbus, where they live in their own zone. He's always on his heels, he's or on his toes, actually, probably, moving post to post, crease to, you know, one side of the crease to the other, up and back. He's got to do that throughout the entire game, which may or may not make him, quote unquote, sharp. Whereas it's going to be a lot different in Los Angeles, who you mentioned, Russ, their shot suppression. They're one of the best in the league. They're, they're one of the better teams in the league. They're drastic opposites to, to the defensively than the way Columbus was. Um, so you just wonder how does that affect him in a negative way? I wouldn't think so. But again, you never know. You, you hear goalies talk about a lot how they love being – they love a lot of the action, some of them. They like being in the game. Um, so it just depends. You know, I, I, I'm not like saying that I'm concerned about that in any way, but it's just – one thing I'm looking for, you know, going back to kind of things we're looking at is how he handles this is an adjustment for him. Um, I thought he looked good the other day. So great. Let, I, again, roll with a Monday and see see how it keeps mm-hmm. going. But um, I do wonder if that plays a factor at all. Well, I think we've, we've kind of dug into Corpusalo and Gavrikov quite a bit. I think there's one more kind of trio we haven't really talked about. And one specific player, and that's Quentin Byfield. Mm-hmm. And his improvement since being placed on this line is, man, I mean, we're seeing a totally different player. We're seeing the Quentin Byfield we were all kind of hoping to see when he was drafted second overall. So I, I kind of, I'll just kind of bounce you guys the question, maybe got to give you guys a chance to kind of talk about what you guys are seeing in that spot. And I'll, I'll go with you, Randon. What, what, what are you looking at there? And what are you seeing from Byfield's play lately? I, I think that you look at his game back from Sudbury as he was the best player on the ice not having to do dirty things, not having to go into the, into the boards and use his size. And he was just an athlete. And you see that in every sport. When you're an athlete that's better than everybody else, you rely on your athleticism to dominate. And now he's not the best athlete on the ice all the time, right? And so he has to refine his skills. And I, I've seen it slowly develop, him being on the wing, him having to go. Because the system with the three the three forward system for the Kings is, First person over the blue line is the person going into the boards. And he's often that person because of his speed. And so he's going to the boards. He's using his size. He's boxing people out. He's facilitating. And you saw it uh, on the last telecast. He's top five in a lot of these categories for the Kings in 
and retrievals on the boards, knocking people off the puck with his body. So using hits, knocking people off the puck, retrieving the puck with his body. And everybody's like, oh, he's over six foot. He needs to do that, me included. And he's starting to do that. And I think that's the biggest thing there is he's finally using his body in an effective way along the boards Mm -hmm. to where he doesn't, which I don't think is a skill move. I think it's like in a traditional sense of what we talk about skill moves, but it is a skill using your weight and leverage in, in the dirty areas along the boards is a skill set. Um, and I, I think he's starting to get there and he's facilitating the rest of that line. And you would have never thought you would have never convinced me earlier in the year that Byfield was going to be the most reliant person to be in, in, in the dirty areas, in the corners and retrieving the puck on the first line. Like you would have never convinced me like, and, and he's doing that. And I think that's the best part of his game right now. And, and using that size and it's being effective and hopefully that that translates maybe the end of this year or next year when he when he goes back into the center position but if he stays a wing for the rest of his career and he's able to be that dirty area facilitator that power forward on the first line it's gonna be for effective for decades to come yeah i'd say i think it was awful russ or randy which one said it was you're seeing a different player i'd say you're almost seeing like different players you're he's he's unlocked um, Kopitar and Kempe in a way that that some of the others, although Fiala, there's a lot of opportunity that was created, but we noted the the defensive de- uh, discrepancies. But and you're starting to see the production come. Um, you know, over the last 25 games, he's third on the team in primary assists per 60. He's in the top five in primary points per 60. So he's he's the production is starting to come per his ice time. You know, just relative to his ice time, I should say. Um, and that's been great to see, and and I think that we're slowly starting to see this this come into his game where he's he's getting a little bit more comfortable looking to make plays. Where before it was a little bit helter skelter, a little bit rushed at times. Where he's 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 settling in a little bit. He's not he's not there yet, obviously, but we're we're definitely starting to see a more impactful Quinton Byfield, and that's that's huge. It's huge for that top line because now it almost like solidifies okay well this is our number one line we got to sort out the rest of the three but i mean i think you feel pretty good about about lazat and fiala if those guys get back together you got the the deno line with more and arvidson so now you're only talking about a few pieces to sort out and you got yourself a lineup and and i think it, it's it's huge that he's been able to step in and and play as well as he has i think that's a that's a a big thing and the production is slowly starting to come along with it I wouldn't say yeah, the I skill think- is set. I wouldn't say the skill set is or his skill level plays aren't there. We saw it last night with that saw that high saucer mm-hmm. pass mm-hmm. to Kempe. We saw it with that chip off the off the boards that ended up being an offsides. You saw you're still seeing a lot of the skill, the highlight level skill plays from him, uh, but he's adding other skill sets to his game. Well, I just wonder though if he makes those plays last year is what I'm getting at. No, is he, he comfortable in his own skin? Is he comfortable? Has the game slowed down enough for him to where he's looking to actually make those particular type of plays? Is kind of what I'm getting at. And to see him have the confidence to do that and then pull him off, like that's what you want to see, right? Yeah, that confidence. He's he's playing too with Kopitar too. Out of anywhere, out of anybody playing with the lineup to see, show that confidence on the first line. I mean, ever since he's jumped on there, he hasn't really kind of turtled or anything he's been even more aggressive in certain situations and and it's weird because you, you want to see the goals you want to see the points and yeah he's got a three-game point streak but there 
like what Joe said, the production from Kopitar and Kempe has been ridiculous. I mean, Kopitar is like one of the best, if not the top goal scorers since the All-Star break in the NHL right now. It's, it's ridiculous. So there's one stat I've been looking at, and that's the on-ice shooting percentage to see how teams are finishing when a player's on the ice. Mm-hmm. You know who the Kings right now in on-ice shooting percentage? It's Quentin Byfield. The only other player above him is Brent Clark. So Brent Clark, we don't want to really count him. He only played nine games. So, yeah, it doesn't really count, but see, that's something to watch too. But with Quentin Byfield leading the team in on-ice shooting percentage, you're seeing the teammates around him finish a lot, a lot more because of his, his play on the ice, which is huge. And then it's funny because I look at his individual shooting percentage. You know who's last among forwards in individual shooting percentage? Got Quentin Byfield. So it's, it's, it's funny because he's almost kind of – passing off more to Kopitar and Kempe, which makes it the, the most sense in the world because Byfield's always been kind of known as a distributor and a playmaker. And you also have Kopitar and the leading goal scorer in Kempe playing on your side. So I kind of get that, but I, I want to see him be a little bit more aggressive in terms of shirt shooting opportunities and whatnot. But I, the thing is, I have no complaints over what he's doing right now. And it's, it's just the production will start to come for those who haven't seen it because so. He, the three assists, but I'm loving everything I'm seeing right now. So that line right now, um, I looked it up. Uh, Kopitar and Kempe are tied for ninth since January 1st in goals. And the, they're only, I mean, it's a lot of goals, but five goals behind McDavid and Drysaddle. So McDavid and Drysaddle have count. 20. They don't, they don't count. We don't count them. Kaprizov, is, that, is that five on five? Because I don't think Connor McDavid scores five on five. No, I don't, uh, this is just, oh, I just typed God. it in stat muse. So uh, Drysaddle, McDavid, 20. Kaprizov, Pasternak, Stutzla, 19. Braden Point, 18. Rantanen and McKinnon, 17, 16. Ajo, Zabenejad, Hughes, 16. And then Kopitar and Kempe, 15. But you look at plus minus and what they're doing defensively, they're tied for third uh, in plus minus uh, within those goal scorers. So you're looking at being able to do it defensively as well as offensively. That line is just – is – is really dominating possession and he's facilitating the goal scoring opportunities for the other two. Yeah. To the, to that point, I mean, Mike and Blake McCurdy, this runs hockey fizz and uh, they, there was a tweet that was put out yesterday with one of his uh, heat maps. Simply put Kopitar and Kempe are, they're generating much more offensively and they're doing better defensively when they are with Byfield versus when they are without. And that includes when they were with Fiala or when they were with anybody else. Their best line mate to date in terms of offensive and defensive, frankly, impacts has been Quentin Byfield. Um, and that says something. You look at, I mean, the fact that both Kopitar and Kempe scored four goals uh, <laughs> since January 1 in separate games, got to lead you to believe that something's going right with that team. The last player I want to talk about and uh, Russ brought it up multiple times, which I think is a great story, is, is Gabe Velarde. Um, super hot. I think he's got four points in his last three games. Silky mitts. Like I said, my keyboard is still drenching with the olive oil from the Italian stallion. I, I think that he's just doing great. I mean, there's been three or four times where he's made a stick handle within three feet of the net, and it barely hit off a post or hit off a goalie pad or whatever. That He could have got two more goals. Um, and for him to be out that long – and and coming in and and still being top five in this team in, in goal scored, 
I think he's probably, and we'll talk about this probably all off season long, if it doesn't happen is his contract. But I think he's, he's the one that's earned that extension more than anybody else. And it's, it's interesting to see that he, unlike Fiala and the fact that he's, uh, I wouldn't say uh, for lack of a better word, flamboyant or driving that line. Like he's kind of like steadily on whatever line he's on facilitates or scores or has timely goals. Um, and I think even more than that, you, we've seen him in three or four different areas on the power play and he's been productive in each one. So the last couple of games, he's been down in front of the goalie. We've seen him in the bumper role. We've seen him on the half wall and he's been productive on every single part of the power play. Um, in my opinion, and Joe's got this little smirk to his face. Like he's the power play expert. Um, <laughs> what, what, what have you seen from Velarde and, and do you disagree or do you agree with nope. that? Nope, I echo everything you're saying. I mean, what Filardi has just been, he's been awesome. I mean, and you look again because of his, so this is what, what the reason we look at stuff like this is because of where he plays in the lineup. Like, he's not going to get the same ice time that a Kopitar Deneau does. We talk about this with Lozada all the time, too, on their per 60. You know, he leads the team in, in goals per 60 for anybody that's played at least 10 games. He is top, I think, three on the team top four on the team in total points per 60, um, those per natural stat trick. So again, and this is all at five on five, and you alluded to what he does in the power play. I mean, he's, I mean, Randall, none of that is a surprise to us. We saw how good he was with the rain. He was ridiculous on the power play. So it, it I don't know what it, it's, again, he, he's instrumental. And uh, whether he's down low, whether he's in the bumper, wherever he might be, he's a really effective player because he's so skilled. Um, that he can he can play in multiple different spots. So, yeah, he's been great, and it's awesome to see. You hope that that he can just stay healthy, you know, throughout his career here as we go forward. Um, but this is a heck of a player, and and it's, his breakout has been huge this season for the Kings, no question about it. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of his individual skills start to come up to play a lot more because I think they're putting him in the right situations. Like having him down low makes – all the sense in the world because if you look at maybe the best I guess hands on the team we've talked about it on end of today that goal alone was a perfect example of what he's been able to do in tight quarters um, with the puck and he leads the team in shooting percentage he's got a 19% shooting percentage which probably isn't the most sustainable number but yeah I mean that just kind of goes to show you how he's been able to be so efficient um, with the puck on his stick in those scoring opportunities because he's got that skill to make that play happen. And he's like, and he's 16th in the NHL in goals per 60. So you have him on the ice. There's a really good chance you're going to be scoring and getting offensive production. If you find him the puck in the, in the certain situation. So that's why I just go again, go back to, I would love to see Velarde back with the known more and known Arvidsson, because I think we've seen those three play together in, in certain spots throughout the season. And they've showed a lot of flash and with Fiala not working there, uh, and with Fiala showing a lot of good chemistry with Lazat in the past, I just don't know why McClellan wants to stick with this lineup for for the time being. It, it makes doesn't make a lot of sense. I yeah, and you know, like Velarde, um, the th it's he's just. The, the, I go back to the when they moved him to the wing, and going back to Ontario last year, and this one thing that Randon we talked about at length on the Making It Rain podcast was like. This is a guy that could go up and be a top six caliber scoring winger today. 
if the Kings wanted to do that, he can do his, his transition to the wing. It was, he, it was awesome down in Ontario. So it's not surprising to see him be successful as a winger nowadays because it, it worked the move, the switch, it worked for him. And that was, that was great. Now, the one thing I'll say in terms of where to put him in the lineup, you, what could work, I got no, if you want to put him up there, I'm, I'm open to trying that um, Russ. The one thing I'll say is, he should play with either Deneau or Liz. like you got to get a guy like Gabe Velarde with somebody who's going to get him the puck. And imagine mm-hmm. if Gabe Velarde is playing with, if he's playing with Fiala and Lazat, who are the top two shot assist guys on the team per 60, he's going to get his looks. Or if you put him up with Deneau, Deneau and Arvidsson too, for that matter, is really good in, in terms of shot assists. He's going to get his looks. And, and even if you put what I would do in talking through this now, if you want to try him up there, that's great. And then put more with Fiala and Lazat because more, uh, at least before his injury, I think per 60, he still leads the team in shot attempts per 60. So, again, you get him with two guys that are going to lead the team in shot assists, Fiala, Lazat, with the shot, the guy that's going to take the shots. I mean, there's a fit there. Um, that I think could work if you put more with those two and move Velarde up to the second line if you wanted to give that a shot. It's just how long can you keep a guy that scores at this rate, you know, and not a knock on, you know, Rasmus Kapari. I guess maybe it is a little bit, but he's just – he's not driving the offensive play because I think he's really doing a nice job of trying to focus on his D-zone play. But I think think I'd like to see – Going back to what I said before, I'd like to see Aya follow on that line with Kapari and Kaliev, move Velarde up a little bit and shake some things out that way. Well, I'll give you a little bit more evidence to why I think that that would work with Velarde, Lazat, and Fiala. What's, what's kind of one thing we've kind of seen a little bit of a knock with Fiala, Dino, and Harvison? It's been, they've been hemmed in their zone. There's a lot more give and take with those three. They get their chances, but they also give up a lot of chances. And Maybe a lot of that has to do with Fiala's kind of wild, kind of wild horse style, where he doesn't really adhere to any structure or <laughs> defensive game. What He's is structure? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you, you watch Fiala on the ice, you see other lines kind of, whenever they don't have the puck, they'll fall back into the 1 3 1 situation. Fiala's just going to keep going. He's going to try to get the puck, and it is what it is. I mean, that's the type of player he is, and everybody knew that when he came over. You knew that that's what you were getting. What I like with Fiala, with Velarde, Velarde leads the fo- all forwards in expected goals against per 60. So you have probably one of the best defensive forwards on the lineup playing with your best offensive forward. And Velarde's been shown to score a lot more too. So that makes that makes too much sense, Joe. It just makes way too much sense. And, and if, you get more, if you get more back in the lineup – I mean, you have the nice line. Maybe you try to find a little bit of that spark that they've had before. Unfortunately, we've kind of seen more battle through injuries. Hopefully, he's back healthy and he can find, find that again. And then with with Ayafalo, you have a pretty good shutdown line on the fourth line. Because Rasku Tukpari, yeah, he's not driving that offensive play. But, yeah, he's he's playing a lot better uh, of a defensive style game. He's also – he's third or he's second on the team, right behind Bullardi and expected goals against per 60. So he's doing a really good job defensively as well. And I think a lot of it, but just going back to Velarde, man, it's just been such a good story in the NHL. And it's probably one of the better stories across the league. And it's unfortunate that he plays in the West Coast, that they're not seeing all these highlight reel goals. They don't really know the story with his back injury and all the ups and downs he's gone through. 
Because if you think about it, last year, we're talking about this player not even playing in the NHL. He's talking about how he needs to focus so much on his defensive game. He's given up way too much. And look what he's done. He's made a huge improvement defensively. He's one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL. And he's taking all that, all that criticism, all that work, and, and those teachings that the team has given him. He's made that and turned into probably one of the best breakout players in the league. And now it's almost we're all we're almost starting to worry how much he's going to make in the offseason with him being a restricted free agent. Because, I mean, you look at some other players who are around 23 years old who are having the breakout season. They're getting some money. So that'll be something to watch for, too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you have something close to five, five point six or five point five, maybe close to six. I don't know. That's, it's going to be a price to pay. I mean, 20 goal scorers don't just grow on trees, especially at his age. I think it's so I funny. I think it's, I think it's so funny. We were, I was watching ESPN yesterday and they're like, Oh, we've been talking about the Eastern conference at nauseum. Let's go to the Western conference. So the Nashville predators and the guy was like that Nashville, Western, Western, <laughs> Western hockey. <laughs> like, it's like, they, they, they can't even bring themselves to talk about the Pacific, let alone, let alone what's going on there in depth with the Kings. And I do, I do. But think we are, that, uh, we're, we're Velarde, doing it. We're doing it for them. Yeah. I do think Velarde is the, uh, is one of the best stories. And Hey, our draft coverage, hundred, we rocked a hundred people the entire time, the entire three hours. So thank you for uh, you listeners there, Joe. You want to you want to cap us off here with with your thought on that before we head well, up? Well, what I was going to say is is just echoing Russ's point. I looked at the uh, the Athletics player card for him. He's in the ninety eight percentile in his defensive metrics. Like he's legitimately one of the better defensive forwards. He's performing as such uh, in the league this year. And if you can. Move that with to your point with with Fiala with the way he's scoring with two of the best playmakers on the team, I, it makes too much sense to at least try again as we're in this final 15 20 games here of trying to figure out what we want to go with or what's going to work. If I'm Todd McClellan, what are we going with here as more gets back into the swing into the fold? That's something I wouldn't mind seeing a look. It's just so weird how he doubled, he doubled down on Fiala with the and Arvidsson, even though we you are with Kopitar too. When he was up with Kopitar, he he said the same, a very similar thing where he was questioned about it not working. He's like, they'll figure it out, right? It was I'll just be curious to see what happens with more skating in a regular jersey and him coming back. I don't really expect more to be on the fourth line, but I don't know. I think you just have to try it, like we said, like Fiala and Deneau and Arvidsson isn't working. It's not. And as much as he wants to try, it's just that fit's not there. So if you want to switch things up, try to follow with the with Lazar and Filardi, and let's see what happens in the last eighteen games. I, don't I think, think Russ seen actually, it. real quick, Joe, do you have his market value for that player card? It was just over six. Yeah, six over six. six. Yeah, six million. It's going to be a price to pay. He turns a UFA in twenty twenty seven. So I would expect Velarde to get a bridge deal to take him keep that RFA status. But if you're paying him two years, two years, $6 million a year, I don't think is out of the realm of possibility for a player like Velarde and what he's been able to do this year. It wasn't just over six. It was just under seven, 6.9. So, yeah, like, yeah, Velarde, yeah. So, so Russ, maybe you're saying that you need to, you know, throw an anonymous roster card uh, into the Kings bench every practice until somebody uh, <laughs> yeah, right. pays attention. Hey, this is this is my design lines. I just uh, I just thought it was funny that media even I mean I forget who asked the question but I mean the Fiala question was asked because it's not it's not like we're looking under a microscope to see that these these, these three aren't working together and it, it's pretty much plain as day that the chances that are going back and forth so 
I mean, we'll, we'll have to see how long he, he goes with those three together. The only center that's been able to wrangle Kevin Fiala is Blake Lazat. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last question. Gunshot answer. If you could sign Velarde to an eight by five right now, is that a yes? Yes. Ooh. With his back injury, eight by five. I know. I still. It's saying eight years, right? By five eight million. years by five million. Yeah. That's it's a gamble. I don't know if I'd be willing to try. I think there's still an opportunity to sign into that bridge deal. I mean, let, let's be honest. It's, it's his breakout years. His first year doing it, and I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to pay him two years, $6 million. I think you're rewarding for everything he's done. But yeah, you do still have that lingering situation. I'm going to knock on wood, knock on wood, because we all want him to stay healthy, and he's been a great player, and it's a great story. But I want to try to keep that term low and, and then revisit his situation later on and then try to sign him to a long-term deal after this couple of years. Well, here's my thing with that, and I know you said quick gunshot answer, but I – I, can't, I just don't have that in me, I guess. Right? All right. <laughs> the best teams in the league are getting guys in an under-market value. Okay, mm-hmm. so is it a little bit risky because of his back? I suppose, but he's clearly producing. And if you get – Peterson. Gabe, oh, sorry. You, sorry, Ed. If you get Gabe Velarde at, at $5 million for the next eight years, it's one of those deals where it's like it could be a little – is it a little high this first year? Is it a little high this second year? But if if he continues to produce and he's doing this on the fourth line, if as he moves up the lineup, we're seeing the production go, five million is going to be peanuts in three, four years. And that's how the good teams stay good for a long time is when you get guys on long deals under market value. That's the name of the game. You, in my opinion, don't wait till he does it because what's Kempe's next contract going to look like? Right, if he if he's gonna score, he's gonna push forty. He's gonna get thirty five again if he pushes forty. All of a sudden, what's he making now? Five and change, you know, something like that. Like now, you're looking at paying that guy nine million dollars. So that's 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 where I come from with that. It's funny because I I mean I'm I'm thinking now. I mean, last year I wanted Kempe to be that long term deal. I wanted him to sign a seven eight year deal because I. I saw that opportunity, so I, I get where you're looking. What you're looking at, um, Joe, because I'm, I'm trying to pull it up. Because I mean, look at what like players like Dylan Cousins just got. He got like a seven year, eight year deal, yep. long term. He's 22 years old. Gabe Velarde's 23 years old. So yeah, we're seeing teams take these gambles, take these long term gambles on these players. Hope they pay off. I mean, Rob Blake pretty much just did it with Mikey Anderson giving him an eight year deal. Yes. So, that's going to be a below market value deal in a couple yeah, years. Dave Villardi is more than likely going to be a top six player on the Kings for years to come if, if he stays with the team and signs with them. So I, I'm starting to, I'm trying to starting to come across the, the, that other like, side of the fence. The there Kings know, yeah, the Kings know his medical history, right? So if, if there's enough concern there, then they, then listen, maybe, maybe eight years is, isn't the play, but man, if, you plan on this guy being as good as he is right now and like continuing and you can get him at 5 million, you do that and run immediately, you know, because again, like you mentioned the Sabres, they've got their top two centers locked up for the next seven, eight years at a combined 14 million combined. Look what Tage Thompson's doing. Look what, look what Dylan Cousins is going to be doing here as we go forward. Like, that team, because of how cheap those top guys are, they can fill out the rest of that roster. 
And that's how you do that by signing these kids and by getting these guys on great deals and under market value. Now, there is going to be some of these deals at some point that bites you. So is Velarde the one if hypothetically that happens? Maybe. But I don't think it bites because of his ability. I think it bites because of an injury, right? I don't think it bites because he falls off the map because of his talent. I think the injury is the concern. It's 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 a fair one. But given his age, he's still so freaking young. And five million, like I I, I think that's Yes, I, that's a risk that I would take. Um, that'll, that'll definitely be one of the stories to watch in the offseason. For sure, what they sign him at. I, I still, I still think it'll be a bridge deal because probably keeping that re- restricted free agent status is huge in terms of control of a player. But he does have arbitration, so that will also be something to watch for. Because I mean, if if he does have, if it does end up going to arbitration, I mean, this is probably going to be a case where. We see it come close to maybe six, six point five because of other salary contracts that have come into play with a player like him at his age. So well, we'll that's and you know what he he may want to go the long term deal, right? Like he like cause some guys maybe prefer the bridge this way they can cash in they can get that free agency and 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 UFA and cash in where because of his health maybe he's like I'm getting forty million dollars over the next eight years I sign me up I will do it. I think there's a lot of appreciation to from between the club and the player here because of everything that's gone on in the early parts of his career. I think he shows he he understands everything that the team has kind of helped him out with, um, been really patient with him too, and developed him into this, this, this top six player, legit top six player in the NHL. And just because the Kings are so deep, they're still trying to figure out where he slots in the lineup. But I mean, he's going to be. It's just been. I'm so happy for Gabe just because I've been so excited about the player ever since they drafted him. I remember watching, listening, listening on a radio to the game he played in Bakersfield when he came back from the long injury. So it's been a player I've been following for so long, and to see the highlight reel stuff he's been he's been doing too lately, it's something that the Kings Kings fans haven't really seen in a while from a player on the on the team. So it, it's a really exciting player to watch in Florida. I'm, I'm I'm really happy for him, and I'm looking forward to what he does with the team. So much for the short answer, guys. I like it though. Uh, it's gonna be a big, <laughs> big, uh, big debate going this offseason. I think he'll probably get a three by four and a half or four by five, somewhere in there in that range. I think it'll be good making him a free agent around 26, 27, maybe 28, right in his prime where he can cash in. But we'll see. That'll be the big debate of the offseason. Great podcast, guys. Appreciate you guys coming back. And it was good to get the triad back together. Um, I, I wish I could have been there on the deadline day. We could have just been talking a bunch of uh random stuff with the no moves being made but uh this this podcast was great i appreciate all the fans listening and subbing quest to a thousand subs is halfway on its way we're right at 498 so please subscribe tell your friends subscribe tell your mom daughter uh, aunt uncle to subscribe you can find us at hockeyroyalty.com at underscore or at hockey underscore royalty at jw paterino at nhl russell at rando commando 24 uh, we got all the merch up on our website. Go go and get yourself some merch. All the latest articles coming out every single day. Uh, Kyle Garcia coming with all your rain news. Man, we are cooking just at the right time. The Kings are cooking. We're headed for the playoffs. Hockey Royalty is ready to keep you covered on the Kings. Uh, and as always, on this podcast, Go Kings Go. Go Kings Go.